Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi, welcome back. This will be for Hebrews chapter 4. The heading reads, The gospel was offered to ancient Israel. Saints enter into the rest of the Lord. Though tempted in all points, Jesus was without sin. All right, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Joseph Fielding Smith said, No man can obtain that exaltation without receiving the covenants that belong to the priesthood. No woman can obtain this great honor and glory without receiving the blessings of faith, repentance, and baptism, confirmation, and obedience to the covenants that are promised her and her husband in the temple of the Lord. Otherwise, there would be no progress, that is, to the fullness. No man who is not willing to continue, even though he be a member of the church, in receiving these covenants and taking upon him these blessings and powers which the Lord has offered unto him by covenant, will ever reach the fullness. All such will be barred, there will come a certain place which they cannot pass, the fullness of, the, of knowledge and understanding and wisdom by which men may become perfect even as God is perfect, can only be gained by a strict adherence to these eternal laws upon which this great blessing is based. We fall short through lack of faithfulness if we refuse to receive covenants and take upon ourselves obligations that pertain to exaltation. There will be a bar that will be present, I'm sorry, there will be a bar that will prevent us from continuing to that fullness. That's unless we get the ordinance Verse 2, for unto us was the gospel, for unto us was the rest preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, but being not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Today we still need to have faith in the gospel. Joseph Smith said, We find also that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they had the gospel preached to them, according to Paul in his letter to the Hebrews, which says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. It is said again in that the law of Moses, or the Levitical law, was added because of transgression. What we ask was this law added to. If it was not added to the gospel, it must be plain that it was added to the gospel, since we learned that they had the gospel preached to them. From these few facts, we conclude that whenever the, whenever the Lord revealed himself to men in ancient days and commanded them to offer sacrifice to him, that it was done that they might look forward in faith to the time of his coming and rely upon the power of that atonement for a remission of their sins. Verse 3, For we who have believed do enter into rest, as he said, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they harden their hearts, they shall not enter into my rest. Also I have shown, or I have sworn, if they will not harden their hearts, they shall enter into my rest, although the works of God were prepared or finished from the foundation of the world. The rest here referred to is not physical rest, for there is no such thing as physical rest in the church of Jesus Christ. Boy, don't you know it. Reference is made to the spiritual rest and peace which are born from a settled conviction of the truth of, in the minds of men. We may thus enter into the rest of the Lord today by, becoming, by coming to an understanding of the truths of the gospel. The ancient prophets speak of entering into God's rest. What does it mean? To my mind, it, it means entering into the knowledge and, and love of God, having faith in his purpose and in his plan, 
to such an extent that we know we are right and that we are not hunting for something else. We are not disturbed by every word of doctrine or by the cunning and craftiness of men who lie in wait to deceive. The man who has reached that degree of faith in God that all doubt and fear have been have been cast from him, he has entered into God's rest, rest from doubt, from fear, from apprehension of danger, rest from the religious turmoil of the world. That was by Joseph F. Smith. As a further extension, the rest of the Lord in eternity is to inherit eternal life, to gain the fullness of the Lord's glory. And that was by Bruce Amakonki. Verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the, se- of, a, of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they harden not their hearts, they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter, must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, or Joshua, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There is a better rest, God's rest, rest from doubt, religious turmoil in the world, secure in our testimony." Verse 10, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his works, as God did from his. One of the goals of discipleship is to submit our will to the will of the Father. This means, in part, that we bury our own agenda and adopt the Lord's. It means that our personal desires are replaced with divine desires. It means that the carnal mind is replaced with the mind of Christ. Paul also explains that it means that we stop doing our own work and start doing the work of the Lord. Once we cease from always being concerned about our own works, we can focus on that work which ironically brings us rest. Hence the invitation, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden with your own works, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, the work of the Lord, upon you, and ye shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into, into that rest, lest any man fall after the name, or after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of body and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Dallin Oak said, Paul warned the Hebrews that God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and all things are naked and opened unto his unto the eyes of him. In other words, God judges us not only for our acts, but also for the desires of our hearts. He has said so again and again. This is a challenging reality, but it is not surprising. Agency and accountability are eternal principles. We exercise our free agency not only by what we do, but also by what we decide or will or desire. Restrictions on freedom can deprive us of the power to do, but no one can deprive us of the power to do, to will or desire. Accountability must therefore reach and attach consequences to the desires of our hearts. This principle applies both in a negative way, making us guilty of sin for evil thoughts and desires, and in a positive way, promising us blessings for righteous desires. Verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or our testimony. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are without sin. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
Because he was in all points tempted like as we are, our Savior understands our situation, knows from his own personal experience that we, what we struggle against, and can sympathize with us and have compassion on us. Thus, when I am tempted, I don't have to appeal to some distant entity who has never been in my shoes. I can take my problems to a high priest, Jesus, who can be touched with the feeling of my infirmities because he has been there where I am. I can share my problems with a compassionate God who knows from experience what I am talking about and understands from experience what I am going through. There can be certain aspects of his nature that the rest of us do not fully share, but there is no aspect of our human nature that he does not share, and that is his and that is good news. That was by Stephen Robinson. Howard W. Hunter said, It is important to remember that Jesus was capable of sinning, that he could have succumbed, that the plan of life and salvation could have been foiled, but that he remained true. Had there been no possibility of his yielding to the enticement of Satan, there would have been no real test, no genuine victory in the result. If he had been stripped of the faculty to sin, he would have been stripped of his very agency. It was he who had come to safeguard and ensure the agency of man. He had to retain the capacity and ability to sin had he willed so to do. As Paul spoke, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was perfect and sinless, not because he had to be, but rather because he clearly and determinedly wanted to be. As the Doctrine and Covenants records, he suffered temptations, but gave no heed unto them. Harold B. Lee said, as we read the story of the life of the Savior, we are impressed by the fact that he was stirred by human emotions, just as we are. I wonder if he was not angered when he saw the money changers making his father's house a den of thieves. When the hypocritical Pharisees challenged him because he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day, the gospel writer records that he looked on them with anger, being grieved because of their hardness of heart. Yet Jesus was tempted as we are in all things, yet he was without sin. Although he was moved by human emotions throughout his life, there was an essential difference between his expression of them and ours. His emotions were always under control. Frequently ours are uncontrolled and end in bitterness and in, that endangers our own souls. He could hate sin, yet have compassion on the sinner. He was angered at the narrowness and bigotry that closed men's minds to truth, yet he was patient in his teachings. He loved all mankind and jealously shepherded them against the evils of the day. Boy, what a difference between Jesus and the rest of us, huh? Even though he was tempted like us, he never gave heed to any of them. I guess that even means not only in deed, but in thought, too, and in desires, as Elder Oaks said. So he never had the desire. Nothing ever came up and said, boy, I sure wish I could do that. He never never had those thoughts. Verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Bruce R. McConkie said, It's pleasing to, to that God whose we are when we fast and pray and seek his blessings, when we plead with all the energy of our souls for those things we so much desire, when, as Paul says, he can, we come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Harold B. Lee said, now that, now that is the invitation to come to him when we are faced with problems too much for human skill or for human wisdom, and we will be thereby, and we will thereby, and we will thereby find the answer more divine than human intelligence can understand. Those timeless words should be written upon the tablets of our hearts to likewise give us courage to withstand in our time of need. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter, and uh, we know that mercy is the spirit of compassion, uh, tenderness and forgiveness. It's one of the attributes of God. So as we obtain mercy and grant mercy to others, then God will grant us mercy as well. That's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.